Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Launching a book isn't easy, but it can also launch you into a whole new life. What's important now is that I am a best-selling author and that's awesome. I found my soul on this journey. I found my purpose, you know, in life. In this show, I talk to authors about how they launched and how it took them to the next level. Hi there, Anna David here, host of Launchpad, podcast all about books, launching them, and what they can do for your career. Um, Kind of a big guest on the show today, just a guy named Adam Carolla. Mm -hmm. If you want the show notes, and you probably do because there's some really funny, useful stuff in here, go to launchpadpub.com slash blog slash Corolla. If you need me to spell that, that's C-A-R-O-L-L-A. And have I mentioned this is episode 317? So Adam Corolla has a podcast that is, uh, it holds the Guinness Book of World Records record for most downloaded podcasts. He was also the co-host of the long-running radio show Love Line, co-created The Man Show, does like a billion other things, has like a bunch of cars, drink companies, a whole bunch of stuff. He is also the New York Times best-selling author of many books. His first book in 50 years will all be chicks, was on the bestseller list for 10 weeks. His newest book is a book that is closest to that first book. It is called I'm Your Emotional Support Animal. Now, if you are looking for politically correct, you are not going to find it in this book. Um, I happen to really respect Adam, think he's really hilarious, and uh, respect anybody's opinion. And so I was thrilled he did this podcast. He talked about, basically, he has launch tips, but his biggest tip is write a great book. He gets into it. And the way he says it is is funnier than the way I do. So I hope you like this episode. With that, I'm going to give you Adam Carolla. All right, Adam. So your new book, uh, I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, will be out by the time people hear this. This is, is this your fifth book? Fifth book, yes. Here's what I was wondering as I was looking through your books. Why do books? Why you have all these mediums that, where you can communicate. Why do you do, book publishing is a horrible industry. I mean, I know you've had New York Times bestselling books, but why even do them? You know, I I think people, pardon the pun, read too much into many of the things I do, including writing books. Uh, People say, why did you do Dancing with the Stars? And I always just go, because they asked. And that that's my answer for most things. They go, what got you interested in and why? And I go, well, they they ask. They offer you money and they ask you to write a book. And you think about how much money and how much time and what we're talking about. And then you do it. And nobody wants to talk about that aspect of it because they think somehow the material 
will be compromised because the the fact of the matter is the first book I ever wrote was uh, in 50 Years Wallaby Chicks, and it was about 10 years ago. And by the way, that process happened a lot faster than 50 years. But they came to me and they said, hey, would you like to write a book? And I said, okay, how much money are we talking about? And it was like $350,000. And I said, oh, okay. But the good news is, is I wanted, I'm glad I wrote a book. I would have never written a book on my own. They incentivized me to write a book. Now, <clears throat> they paid me to write a book and I wrote a really funny, interesting, I think insightful book. And the process has worked that way all throughout. And I think people think like, oh, they came to you, they paid you money, so now what? I don't know. It's like going to a good restaurant. You came to them, you paid them money, and you got really good sushi. Like, it's not like, well, you've been bought and sold by the guy who makes sushi now. It's like, no, it, that's how life works. And I'm not, I'm, I never mail it in. And so, but didn't you do a book with Drew before that? Or does that not even really count? Oh, that's interesting. I did. And in my mind, it doesn't, it doesn't count because we had like a ghost rider. I mean, even though we fed him everything and told him everything, it was me, Andrew, it was like Loveline, the book. It, it didn't feel like me. It just felt like they wanted us to write a book. Loveline was popular. So we'll just write a book. But it never felt to me like really writing a book like the like the subsequent five have been so maybe i've written six books yeah i know what that's like where it's hard to know what to count i'm, I'm always like oh i'm the author of either six books or eight books i don't really know if you count those two um so and so what is what has been the process for you you don't work with ghostwriters on on all the other ones or you or you do or how does that work i work with a fellow named mike lynch and I'm trying to think of like I guess ghostwriter has kind of a negative connotation to it. Um, he's an assembler of the thoughts that I regurgitate on a daily basis. And so our process is he's not even in California. He's in Massachusetts. And he is a guy that I've written with on in different capacities for a while. And so he listens to my podcast on a daily basis and he starts pulling things that I've said, ideas, you know, sort of spontaneous riffing on. Mostly that's where my ideas come from is the sort of pontificating on something or bloviating on something and something interesting comes out. It's, <clears throat> it's a little bit, <clears throat> I'm sorry, it's a little bit like panning for gold, which is you, you go through a lot of silt and sand and eventually get the little nugget of something that has some value. <clears throat> and then he... Then we, he starts kind of assembling it. He starts putting it in different places and adding and subtracting. And then at some point, we start having these daily conversations. Like, here's what I got. Here's what I'm thinking about. And, and, it's, and so for me, especially living in L.A. pre-pandemic, I would say to him, um, hey, I am driving to the comedy store from my house tonight on Saturday night. I got to be there for an eight o'clock set. I'm going to get my car at seven. Uh, it's going to be 10 o'clock your time. You want me to call you when I get in the car? I said, call me when I get in the car. I'll call him. And we'd work the book the whole, 
he'd, and, and also the process is better because he'd be reading it out loud to me and I'd be hearing it versus reading it. I'm much better at hearing it. And then I'd get to the comedy store and I'd say to him, uh, I'm going to go up, you know, do a 20 minute set. I can be back with you in half an hour, 40 minutes. He'd go, okay, call me when you get back in the car, get back in the car, drive back to lock and yada from Hollywood work on again. If I had a road trip or it's going to be, be somewhere for a while, I'd say I'd, we put it on the calendar. Here's two hours. I got to go to San Diego to do a corporate gig or whatever. I'll be in the car for two hours. So let's do it. And that's how, that's how we do them. Dare I say that sounds pretty fun. I would say that sounds like the most fun book writing experience I've ever heard of. Uh, I'll tell you this. You don't get writer's block or whatever that is. You don't find yourself doing like what they do in movies where you sit down, you bang out a paragraph and then you erase it and then you bang out another paragraph and you erase it. it, it it's, it's very functional. Uh, it's, it's highly functional. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's really pragmatic. It's, it, it, it's symbiotic. Like I talk, he grabs Once you start getting an outline of the book, then you realize almost everything you say will fall into this chapter or that chapter. And, uh, it's very collaborative and it moves fast. Like it's a really, it's, and, and look, a lot of, you know, a lot of people can't afford to do it that way. It's not, it's not free. I don't get to keep all the money. I break off a, a good chunk and give it to him. But if you're willing to do that, then it's a, a very good process. But also that person has to be good. They have to hear, they have to have your voice in their head. And so, and was he somebody who came to you because he was a listener? Are you you have your crew. He's just like a member of the Corolla crew, right? Yeah, for for yeah, I mean it's a uh, I, I've, you've oversimplified it a little, which is completely fine. Yes, he's he's a member of the crew, and we've been working together for years. So okay, so if this book, if the podcast focuses on book launches, what do what do you do when you're launching a book? I mean, kind of, you just tell your legions of listeners, and they go buy it. But again, I bet I'm oversimplifying a much more complicated process. So how do you approach it? What do you do when launching a book? I talk about it on my podcast, and 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 anyone who'll have me, like you, thank yeah. you. I mean, you, I you will, really are hustling it. You're coming on my podcast. I will, uh, I will, I will start to play little clips of the audio book that we record in the studio where I'm sitting right now. So we get to keep the whole recording of the audio book in, in house, which is just like the writing of the text of the book. It makes it a lot easier when you can go to the place where you, where you work and, and do it kind of on your schedule with a, with the heart out at the end, but still it's on your time. Um, and we start playing little clips of it in the podcast and send it out to some of the more notable people I know to get blurbs for it and that, you know, the usual wiggle. And at some point they'll start setting up a little press junket and that kind of stuff. It's nothing groundbreaking, you know, it's, uh, I don't know that you're going to sell a book based on 
a press junket. People need to read your book, like your book, recommend your book, and share your book. I, I can't imagine another way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, like, if I think about what I read, it, I, I only read because somebody told me to, or because I'm a fan or a friend of the person. Um, yeah. Well, that's an interesting point. Have you ever read a book where you saw the person talking about it on a TV show and bought that book? Or if you have done it that way, isn't it isn't it a much smaller number than the number of books you've read because folks have who you respect have recommended this book to you? Yeah, well, you know, it's like the, the, there's this marketing rule of, I think it's seven or eight. You have to have heard of something seven or eight times if, if you don't know the person for it to even resonate. So it's like if you go on the Today Show, okay, cool. Someone has to hear about you six more times to even buy your book. So that's why something like people like you who have this built-in audience, like that's, that's how you're going to sell books, not by going on a TV show, you know? Yeah, I, I you know... I agree. And um, it's sort of like this pandemic thing, which is we don't really know exactly how it works. So we're just going to wear masks and wipe shit down and like not go to any basketball games. And I don't know if it works. I don't know what works, what doesn't work. I just know this is sort of the protocol. And it's kind of that way with books. Like you do do this show, you do this radio junket, you talk to this guy, you do that. And that's just sort of what you do. And you go, well, let's really try to define which one works or what's fertile. And the answer is, we don't really know. Just do everything. And how could it hurt? I will say you are the very first. And congratulations on being able to compare the book publishing process to the pandemic. Yes, the first. Thank um, you. It's, it's not wrong. It's not untrue. So, um, and, and so, and have all of your books been New York Times bestsellers? So it's safe to say the process is working? Yes and no. I think uh, three out of the four have been New York Times bestsellers, as I, as I recall. I know two, maybe three, but uh, not all four. Three out of four. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good record. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, but that's a good percentage. Um, so, and how has your publishing experience changed? I mean, this, this first one, you've, you've switched publishers, right? Right. How has publishing, has it changed over the past decade that you've been in it? You know, it's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, a, a little like insight into my wiring. Um, I oftentimes don't know the name of my publisher and the reason I don't know the name oftentimes is because it's not important to me. What, what's important is the product and, and I'm, and I'm lazy or something. I, I, I have this weird process where I'm only interested in things I can control. And if I can't control them, I, I, God's honest, you'd have to look up to see who, I, who published my last books. Cause I, I honestly don't know, but, crown maybe well first of all they all swallow each other up so they all have different names that's time that's my take it's to me it's academic my thing is i'm gonna write a good book it's gonna be 
It's going to be edgy. It's going to be funny. And so it'll be thought provoking and it'll be accurate. And then I'm just going to push it out there and we'll see if everyone makes their money back and we'll see how it works. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you why I believe you. I had been on your show three times and then saw you and I was like, hey, Adam. And you basically said to me, I don't know your name because I only learn the things that are kind of relevant. You said something like that. It made me not feel bad at all. It was like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to feel bad about that. <laughs> when did I say that? I saw you. I, we were in a green room at HLN, like back when Drew had his show there. Mm-hmm. And and I was, it was pretty refreshing because I was basically like, do you remember me? I've been on your show. And you were like, no, but don't take it personally. <laughs> I, 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 so I don't know. I, I, I understand. I, I have a wiring that's off-putting to, to many, many people. Crown published the older books. And then more recently it was HarperCollins, I guess. So says the screen that Matt is uh, written <laughs> in front of me. But, but, but so here's the, so here's the thing. I somehow have decided that there's certain things I need to know and then certain things I don't need to know. And if I decide, and sometimes it can be arbitrary, but if I decide I don't need to know it, then I don't need to know it. Like I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know any of the names. I have twins that just graduated from the eighth grade. I have no idea what any of their teachers' names were. And the reason I have no idea is because I don't need to know it. Right. I, I need, but also I only have a certain amount of room in my head and I have a lot of stuff I want to know. So I somehow just decided that writing a book is important and coming up with thoughts that are going to go into that book is important, but the name of the publisher for that book is not important. Now, if I was doing a radio junket, I would write it down on a, on a pad and put it in front of me so I could glance down and see it. And then after that, I would forget about it uh, again. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all like that. What's refreshing about you is that you just say you're like that as opposed to people who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally know. I totally know. You know what I mean? You're not faking it. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I feel that way with... A lot of time with birthdays and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm not wired for, for, I guess, not trivia. I like trivia, but but things that don't feel like they will benefit me or my family or, or the what have you. I'm also not a big, like, if you and I were going to meet for, dinner and you were 15 minutes late and you came in to the restaurant we're like oh my god i'm so sorry i i just go hey, don't, don't, sit down i i'm not interested in well we don't have to do this part where you tell me why you were late right i you're late you're 15 minutes late i don't even know why i i, I understand you're you you feel bad about it let's order yeah like it less than le- not irrelevant information but less than relevant information is i feel like well also if you could give me information that could affect you being late like if you could give me information and i could go back and use it to not make you late then i'd be all ears but this is done not that you're late right but as an example it's a done deal to me 
And let's move on to appetizers. Um, so about this book, in looking at it, would you say, I, I mean, it's sort of my cursory glance at your earlier books. It's most like your first book, right? Or is it Yes. Not? I'd say yes. Thanks for doing your homework. And I, I would say it's probably more like my first book than, than any other book I've written. And is that because you felt like, hey, uh, the world needs to hear this stuff now again? <clears throat> there was an element of the first book really resonated with people. I, I don't I don't know why. I mean, it was a funny book. So I I understand that people thought it was funny. It also had a lot of kind of truths, kind of tough truths in it. So um, and because the first book was sort of a here's where, where we're going to be in 50 years. And then people kept kind of coming up to me and saying, well, it looks like we got there in 10 years, you know, or under way under your, your prognostication of 50 years. So I sort of went, yeah, everyone liked that book. It's been 10 years since I wrote that book. And I also, that's my style in terms of, you know, writing a book about being a dad or writing an autobiography and or some version of that, that's fine. But my style would be more suited for, I'm just going to say everything I want to say in a, in a book form. And that's, that's what this book is. And, um, you know, one other thing, this is kind of like going back to the conversation about these publishers who we can't, who we can't remember. Why not publish yourself? You do everything yourself. Like your entire thing is like a media company. Why not just have Ace Publishing? Uh, it's a good question. Um, you have to, uh, it's kind of a twofold answer. You have to kind of figure out how much stuff you want to do yourself because the answer isn't going to be everything, you know, because it's like saying, I'm a carpenter but I don't do everything myself, but I could because I have the skill set, you know, but it also at a certain point, how are you using your time? So, you know, I have a pool man, I have a gardener, it's all stuff I could do, but I, I'm trying to allocate my time a certain way. And, and it's true. People go, well, wouldn't you save a lot of money if you just did your own pool? And you go, yeah, I know, but I just, and it's not analogous exactly, but, um, you have to kind of think like you do a podcast or, or, or you make documentaries or you, or you sell Mangria or whatever you do your stuff. But then every once in a while, someone wants to do a TV production and you're going to have a hosting gig and, and they're going to handle it, you know, and you can't, at least I can't sort of shoulder everything all the time. It has to be some allocations to others on occasion. And in this particular case, my partner, Mike Lynch, was looking to get from, he's a, a working as a social worker therapist to starting his own business and getting his own office and have it, hanging his shingle out. And he needed money to get an office, to buy furniture, to start a business and, and so on and so forth. And so uh, part of it was uh, uh, an eye toward, let me see if I can get you paid. And if we did it your way, which is a good idea, he wouldn't have gotten paid till whenever, until I got paid. 
or whenever the money came in. But he would make a lot more. Um, I do think it's fascinating that he's a so that I would not think the co-author of I'm Your Emotional Support Animal would necessarily be a social worker. That's just interesting. Um, yeah, therapist, you know, social worker, therapist now. Um, yeah, it, it it is. He and I work well together because we do have a, a, a strong sort of psychological bent and, and an interest and we lean that way. I don't think people, I don't think people think of me that way, but I do. I, I, they think of me as kind of a blue collar, you know, dude who, you know, says what he thinks and thinks what he means or says or whatever the fuck they think. But for me, I'm like, I'm very interested in the human condition, psychology, motivation. It's, it's where most of my comedy comes from. And Mike is obviously very interested in that as well. He does it full time for a job. So when he and I get together to kind of approach a subject, it's, it goes a little beyond what's funny. You know, we're trying to kind of figure out what's true and how people work and what motivates people. And then how do we find the comedy? How do we find that sort of psychological truth? And then where's the comedy in that? And, and when you find truths, sort of emotional, psychological truths, you will find a lot of comedy. That's why all the best comedians are sort of, you know, that's why people are going, he's right, he's right. That's the way my wife thinks, you know, or, or that's the way my husband acts. You know, those are the truths. Those are, it, it doesn't, if it doesn't ring true psychologically, it's not really funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, this has been fantastic. Now, if you had to give uh, a, somebody who's not Adam Carolla tips for what they should do to launch a book, what would they be? I'm, you know, I'm trying to think about launching a book versus creating a book. I'm, I, I'll, I'll answer it at some point in this dissertation, but I'm very interested in the process and the product versus the outcome. And I think people get a little fixated on the outcome, you know, like I'll write a book as long as I know it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. And it's like, well, then everyone would write a book. There are no guarantees. You should write a book because you would like to write a book or more importantly, because you have something to say or an idea you need to share. Um, if you're just writing the book because you want to get on this list or get paid or get laid, or get whatever, then maybe maybe you shouldn't be writing a book. So my feeling is it's a lot easier to push a product if the product is really strong, you know? So you could say, what's the best way to launch a line of t-shirts, men's t-shirts. And I'd go, I don't know how good's the t-shirt. Like, is it a killer t-shirt? Why? Tell me why someone would need this t-shirt. I got a drawer full of t-shirts, you know? So in a world where everyone has a drawer full of t-shirts and a shelf full of books, uh, why do we need your book? And write that book, create that book, create that product. And then, you know, once you do that, it's everything you can access. You know, for me, I know Jimmy Kimmel and Howard Stern, so perhaps I can go talk about it on their program. But 
not everyone knows Jimmy Kimmel and Howard Stern, so you can't talk about it on their program, but maybe there are other people you know. And and I get it. It's It'd be much nicer just to go on Howard Stern and talk about it than it would be to go on a podcast with eight listeners and talk about it, but that's where you have to start. I mean, you can obviously only do it to whatever. And, and by the way, I couldn't go on... <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to trying to think where you would like to sell a book. I probably couldn't go on Stephen Colbert's show and and do it. Uh, I don't get to go everywhere I want to go and talk about it, but I could go on Tucker Carlson's show and talk about. It. So you have to kind of figure out like, well, where could you go? Who would have you? And you know, be persistent. But again, if the if the product's not there, it's it's all going to be a moot point anyway because it's mostly all word of mouth. Yeah. Excellent. That's perfect. Um, so thank you, Adam. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, listeners, go grab I'm Your Emotional Support Animal. I'm assuming it's wherever people can buy books. Maybe bookstores will yeah. be open by the time they hear this. They, uh, Yeah, wherever you get books, that's where you get it. Okay, awesome. Thanks again, Adam. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Anna.